That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today I was privileged to be joined by Congressman Lee Zeldin. We discussed his run for governor of the state of New York, his takeaways of the 2021 presidential election, the Biden administration's attempt to reopen the consulate in Jerusalem, Israel, Ben and Jerry's ice cream and its take on selling ice cream in what they call, wrongfully call, I should say, occupied Palestinian territory, as well as his diagnosis and thankfully recovery from chronic myeloid leukemia. Discuss other topics as well. I think it was a really interesting show. Hope you enjoy it. Again, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat brought to you by Newsweek. So honored to be joined today by Congressman Lee Zeldin. Congressman, thank you for taking the time. Happy to be with you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. So uh, you're running for governor now of New York, uh, and I'd love to hear what inspired you to do that. You're doing some great work in Congress. Thank you for your service, by the way, to the United States of America. And uh, why the transition? Well, it's certainly a privilege to serve in the House of Representatives. I'm currently in my fourth term representing the first congressional district. Uh, What I have found in my conversations with New Yorkers all across the state of all walks of life is that they are hitting their breaking point. Every single day, people are deciding that they've had enough and they're leaving New York. Uh, They feel like their wallets are being attacked, their safety, their freedom. Others talk about the quality of their kids' education. Uh, Individuals, whether they are conservative to liberal, Republican to Democrat, in regions all throughout New York, uh, they every single day are deciding that they want to head to another state where they feel like their money will go further They'll feel safer, they, they'll live life freer, and they're leaving and they're not looking back. Others are still there, and they want to do their part uh, to save the state. It's not a slogan for New Yorkers. People realize that the current trajectory that we're on right now is, is unsustainable. Uh, we have some great ideas on how to help protect people's wallets, safety, freedom, and, and the quality of kids' education. Uh, And we're looking forward to implementing these policies. Uh, Right now we have one party rule and it's a campaign advocating for balance and also a campaign saying that every New Yorker, regardless of where you're from, deserves a voice and representation and a seat at the table. No matter what county of the 62 counties in New York you're from, regardless of your politics, your party registration, we need balance. Uh, We need to save our state. And, you know, I live in New Jersey, neighboring to New York. Um, People predicted it would be hard to flip New Jersey, and the race came quite close. What do you think the odds are of flipping New York? Uh, I wouldn't be in this race if I didn't believe that we uh, had a plan that is going to work, that's going to be successful. I'm not in this campaign to finish in second place. Uh, We're in this campaign to win. We got into this race 19 months to the day before the election. Uh, We announced on April 8th of the off year. Uh, what we've seen in past cycles, can- candidates would get in around that time of the election year. So we started early. We started putting together uh, endorsements, fundraising, 
making sure that the team is ramped up, good chemistry, understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses. The issues are on our side. Uh, we've seen in one county where they want to repeal cashless bail and uh, we're, we're on the right side of that issue. We go speak to another group and they don't want to see New York City getting rid of advanced academics in the name of, of equity. New York City is getting rid of the gifted and talented program, and we're on the right side of that issue. And so as we've been traveling around the state talking to different groups, we've realized that we're on the right side of the issues, and that matters a lot. Now, if you're going to do a raw analysis of the likelihood of flipping a state like New York, one of the things that you look at as you're going into a midterm, you'd ask yourself, well, who's in charge of the White House? Which party? Because the party not in the White House wins the midterm every single time. The only exception that I recall is 2002 after 9-11. Uh, there wasn't much change. That was a pre-status quo election. Other than that, the party not in the White House wins the midterm. Well, in this case, it's not just a Democrat in the White House, but for New Yorkers, for the first time in my lifetime, we're going into a midterm with one party Democrat rule at every level in D.C., Albany, and New York City at the same time. Now, there are challenges when you're in charge, you're elected to lead. And whether it was Afghanistan or the challenges that we see on our southern border right now, there's a debate over a next big uh, spending bill that's going on right now that uh, the president calls his Build Back Better bill. Uh, and we have uh, obviously more challenges in Albany and New York City. Right now, with that one party rule, uh, we're seeing a lot of blowback because people don't feel like uh, certain issues are being handled the way that they want to see them handled. Uh, there's going to be more challenges to come. In the military, uh, I learned that there's no such thing as problems in life, only challenges and opportunities. If you're elected to lead, if you raise your hand and you want to serve, whether you're the president, you're serving in Congress, you're a governor, you're a mayor, uh, if you're raising your hand, you're doing it because you're ready to tackle those challenges that are ahead. And there will be more challenges. So ultimately, that's the biggest unknown of what's between now and November 8th of 2022 is how those challenges ahead are conquered. And what do you think the disarray on the other side relating to former Governor Cuomo and now Governor Hochul, you know, how bad did that hurt the other side? Well, right now there's an open primary that is going to involve the Attorney General, Letitia James. You mentioned Kathy Hochul, who was a lieutenant governor. She's now the governor. Jumani Williams, the New York City public advocate. There's a question as to whether that Bill de Blasio gets in the race. And there are others who are either in or thinking about getting in. So we'll see what happens come June of 2022. The biggest consequence on the other side is that now there are a whole bunch of people all vying to be the Democratic candidate for governor. What we've seen in past years, uh, every four years, uh, when we've had this gubernatorial race, the Democratic Party has been rallied against a single candidate, and there has there's been primaries along the way, uh, but for the most part, it's been consolidated support behind Governor Cuomo in, in 10 and 14 and 18. Of course, I remember the Cynthia Nixon primary. There have been moves that have been made on them, uh, but it, it wasn't like it is right now. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll see how uh, the path forward goes. On policy, they have a budget that they're going to have to enact uh, towards the end of March of 22. That's the fiscal year in New York State goes from April 1st of each year, uh, as opposed to what we're used to federally at the end of September. Um, so they're going to have to enact a budget. There's a lot of pressure to increase spending even further, to increase taxes more. Uh, so that's a big unknown. 
Uh, and then there are a lot of people who still want accountability and answers and justice related to uh, the lingering scandals. Some people are still in government who are part of uh, Governor Cuomo's team. Uh, they're still in positions of influence uh, and individuals are, are calling on them to step aside. Uh, so we'll see how all that plays out. You have the big unknown as it relates to COVID. Uh, hopefully this new variant that is uh, now being discussed uh, and not that present in the United States as far as we know yet. Hopefully it's a milder strain. Uh, this is something that we know of other viruses over the course of time. Oftentimes the mutation will be weaker than what it was mutated from. And hopefully that's what we start to experience more of with COVID. We need to focus more on therapeutics and treatments. Uh, that is the, the very best long game. There's a, a lot of focus on vaccines and that was important with regards to uh, research and development and the approval process and distribution and getting people to, uh, you know, to answer questions so that they would get vaccinated, I'm vaccinated. Uh, but with all that being said, um, the long game here is for us to uh, try to advance as rapidly as possible with the most effective treatment that we can, uh, because there will be more mutations going forward. And, you know, I don't think I could discuss former Governor Cuomo without this week's news about Chris Cuomo. So for a couple of years, I watched him night after night attacking pretty much all of my colleagues from President Trump uh, down in the White House. Um giving Governor Cuomo a platform, accusing people of wrongdoing. What's your take on what happened with uh, Chris Cuomo and, and CNN's uh, ultimate suspension of Chris Cuomo, at least for now? Listen, it's, uh, it's important when you have a relative in a tough position like this. If you're in a position in media, you have to have certain firewalls up. Uh, if you want to cross that line, then the relationship is going to be different and uh, you're now entering into a zone of risk where this might end up happening. Uh, unfortunately, Andrew Cuomo made decisions on uh, many fronts, <coughs> not just the harassment, abuse, intimidation uh, of staff, of other state legislators, of members of the media, you also saw it uh, with regards to the deadly nursing home order and cover-up. We saw it as it relates to uh, the, the COVID testing preferential treatment for family and friends at private residents, and the samples removed to the front of the line to state lab. Uh, we also saw it with the $5.1 million self-congratulatory book deal and using taxpayer-funded staff to help write that book. Uh, so there were so many different scandals and if you're hired to report on the news, and this is a huge national news story time and again on all of the different scandals, um, you, know, you, you then hit a point where you're comfortable reporting on the news when it's positive news about your brother, but then you're going to say, I'm not going to report on the news. It's a conflict of interest for me to mention anything with regards to any of the negatives. Uh, I would say, you know, not only did, did he put himself in a tough position, but more so than that, uh, I believe that Andrew Cuomo put his brother in a really tough position. Uh, there are huge consequences for the decisions that Andrew Cuomo made. And it's uh, obviously it's causing not just an impact negatively to his own life, but those who are close to him. 
Um, you know, being brothers with with someone and having that loyalty, that's something that I understand and I respect. Uh, but Andrew Cuomo put Chris in a really bad place here. Let's talk about the 2021 elections. What takeaways do you have for my listeners for what this means for 2022 in terms of the midterms and the next presidential election? The pendulum has swung, uh, and we just need to have the election now. And the earth has moved underneath us. We saw it in Virginia. We saw it in New Jersey. Uh, in New York, we saw the Suffolk and Nassau District Attorney flip, uh, Nassau County Executive, Suffolk County Legislature, New York City Council seats flipped. Uh, we were involved in a Westchester County legislative seat that uh, that flipped as well. Towns all across the rest of the state. A lot went from blue to red. Uh, we had Democrats who were voting Republican. And we had uh, one person who lived two doors down from us, moved uh, not too far, still in the community, stay in touch with my wife. She is a proud Bernie Sanders supporter, loyal Bernie Sanders supporter. And she called my wife up on election night, November 2nd, and said for the first time in her life, she voted straight Republican. Single issue, she did it on education. And there are a lot of people like that. I've seen it with my conversations with the Asian American community in Flushing, Queens. I've seen it with you know, black pastors conversing with them and their, and their wives, the first ladies in Sunnyside, uh, with groups of Hispanic voters in the South Bronx. In these conversations, I found that when I talk about supporting law enforcement, more not less, when I'm talking about improving the quality of education, and how our kids go to school for a quality education and not an indoctrination or brainwashing, and that kids should not be stuck in poor performing schools, it's resonating with people on the other side of the aisle. What we're seeing in New York is that independents are voting like Republicans. A whole lot of Democrats are voting like Republicans. Other Democrats um, are thinking more independently and more open-minded. So there's certainly been a huge shift in the electorate underneath us. There are many lessons learned from 2021. Uh, we believe that uh, we're on a path to win this race in New York. Uh, and I believe that 2022 is going to be one of those elections that 40 years from now, people are still going to be talking about. And that's going to include a massive uh, win in the House where control goes from the Democrats to the Republicans. The gavels come out of the hands of Pelosi and Schiff and Nadler and Waters. I believe the Senate's going to flip as well. It's going to be a red tsunami coming November 8, 2022. Let's move over to Israel. Your reputation uh, as being a very strong supporter of the Jewish state of Israel is very, very well known. Uh, recently, you joined more than 100 House Republicans in introducing a bill to prevent the reopening of the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem. Tell us about that. Yeah, I believe that the Jerusalem Embassy Act, uh, which was passed and signed into law in the mid-90s, uh, should be followed, respected as U.S. law. It says that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel that should remain undivided. The uh, Trump administration made enormous uh, progress and gains here, moved the embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, uh, advanced the Abraham Accords withdrew from the fatally flawed Iran nuclear deal, signed the Taylor Force Act into law. That list goes on of all of the enormous Trump administration accomplishments, strengthening the alliance between the United States and Israel, standing shoulder to shoulder with our great ally Israel against existential threats all around it. Fast forward to now, you have the Biden administration trying to roll back 
President Trump's legacy on so many different fronts, and that includes Israel. They want to open a consulate. They're looking at Western Jerusalem, of all of the places. Uh, they should respect and follow the Jerusalem Embassy Act. Uh, the Palestinian Authority has made it clear that they want this consulate reopened in Jerusalem for the purpose of dividing Jerusalem. Also, when you move to Israel, th this consulate, you need the approval of the host nation. The host nation in this case is Israel, and they don't want this consulate open. Additionally, if you're going to open up a consulate, it's to serve another country. Palestine, there's no country of Palestine. The Palestinian Authority, the, the PLO, they don't run a country. And on top of, <coughs> excuse me, on top of that, we also need to be sensitive uh, to the fact that they uh, financially reward terrorism, that they incite violence. The Taylor Force Act is a law right now. And you know, we should not be waiving these laws. We should not be turning a blind eye to these U.S. laws. Actually, it should be U.S. policy uh, to be putting more pressure on the Palestinian Authority and the PLO uh, and, and Palestinians of Hamas and others uh, to ensure that we are not just helping the Israeli citizens to protect itself, uh, but also ensuring that these surrounding uh, areas uh, are more stable. Uh, from Lebanon, where Hezbollah is increasing influence in the LAF, the, uh, the Lebanese Armed Forces, uh, to Hamas and the Gaza Strip, other terrorist groups that exist. Uh, we should not uh, be engaging in this uh, disgusting uh, political maneuvering in Congress where the Iron Dome funding is getting stripped out of appropriation bills. Uh, the Iron Dome funding is a defensive missile system. Uh, that, that should be funded, that should be a no-brainer, um, and it shouldn't be stripped out of these appropriation uh, bills that are working through Congress right now. So there's, on so many different fronts, this issue matters, but you asked about the consulate, uh, and for all the reasons that I stated, uh, I believe that the Biden administration uh, should, instead of going forward with a consulate, uh, they should rescind these plans, uh, they should respect the will of the Israeli people, they should follow United States law, uh, and we uh, introduced a uh, bill that had over 100 House sponsors, and I led a letter that had over 200 House Republicans sign on to it uh, with this position advocating to the Biden administration. There's strong support, and that support is on both sides of the aisle. One thing I'd like to add to that, because I agree with everything you said, is that from a U.S. taxpayer perspective, this makes no sense. The embassy that is in Jerusalem now is a fully has a fully functioning Palestinian affairs unit, no cuts in services, same staff doing the same thing, and we have enough troubles here back on our own shores dealing with COVID and the we'll get to this in a few minutes the build back better or build back broke as some refer to it. Um, we're spending a lot of money now. I don't know why we would spend U.S. taxpayer money on opening a second mission in the same city. It doesn't seem to make sense to me at all. Yeah, that's a very important point. Uh, we need to be responsible stewards of tax dollars. I remember when uh, the embassy was being moved in Israel, the story from the, the Trump administration of uh, finding uh, extremely affordable land property for this move. Uh, a lot of money was saved. What we've seen at other times over the years, a new embassy is being opened. 
or a new embassy is being built in a particular city where there already was an embassy and they're, and they're pursuing upgrades at massive costs, these huge boondoggles of expenses. Uh, and the embassy was, uh, was moved to Jerusalem extremely efficiently. Uh, but it does not make sense from a taxpayer um, point of view, as you pointed out, to make this move in reopening that consulate. Let's come a little closer to home. I have a strong affinity with Cuba because my father-in-law was born there, was raised there, loved it there, and an amazing childhood until he was forced to to flee. He actually was in the U.S. for a relative's wedding, and then his parents called him and said, don't come back. Um, There was some protest some months ago uh, where the Cuban people kind of uh, let their voices be heard, some news stories, some government officials supporting them, and then it fizzled again. Um, You're out there... Uh, supporting the Cuban people's fight for freedom, aren't there? But there aren't a lot of people talking about it. How do we get that story back front and center to help support the Cuban people's fight for freedom? For one, we do need to talk about it more. Uh, I had a press conference that um, Marco Rubio, Rick Scott were part of, uh, led by Maria Salazar, uh, Mario Diaz Ballard, Carlos Jimenez. Uh, these Florida members of the congressional delegation, and they're talking about this all the time. Uh, I was honored to stand with them as we called on the the Biden administration to assist in providing internet access to the Cuban people uh, for them, uh, for all of them to have an ability to communicate. It's important that we are able to to tell tell the story of the realities of the economic oppression on the ground, the housing conditions, the healthcare conditions. Uh, These are Cuban people who are taking to the streets, holding up American flags, desperate, crying out for freedom. Um, We need to continue to tell that story of what the, the reality is on the ground right now in Cuba. It's also a lesson for us here in the United States to make sure that none of the policies that are failing there become policies that get implemented here in the United States. So on top of our advocacy of uh, additional actions that can be taken by the Biden administration to help the Cuban people, and and on top of all of us just continuing to bring awareness, a, a focus to what's going on right now in Cuba, is that we have debates over policies that are being sought to be implemented here in the United States that those who are pushing those, those policies are self-described socialists. We, you know, there, there was a time when I, I got elected to the state Senate in 2010. When I went up to Albany, and there were you know, 212, there were 213 legislators uh, after the redistricting, so I was there for two terms. If you went up to any state legislator in Albany at that time a decade ago, and you accused them of being a socialist, they would take that as a hyperpartisan, hyperbolic bomb, an insult. Now, you could go up to a whole bunch of state legislators in Albany, same thing in Congress. And if you accuse them of not being a socialist, they take that as an insult. They'll correct you. And they are proudly, publicly socialist. This is not an insult for them. They, they'll take it the wrong way if you accuse them of not being a socialist. So we have to learn these lessons, not just for advocacy for the Cuban people crying out for freedom, but also in defense of our own freedom, of our own society, of providing opportunity and and housing opportunities and education opportunities, 
uh, and ensuring that we just don't have big government socialism where everyone's relying on the government to survive and ultimately ends up being the undoing of our nation. I want to spend a few minutes talking about ice cream, specifically Ben and Jerry's. So they released this statement back in July about how they're going to end sales of their ice cream in the, quote, occupied Palestinian territory, close quote. Obviously, by the lead-in, you know that where they stand on this. And the, the, even the notion of calling it occupied Palestinian territory is just absolutely false. It's, it's factually wrong. At best, it's disputed territory. What's your take on this? I know you've been very active on this file by condemning Ben and Jerry's and its parent company, Unilever. A lot of people ignore the fact that it's really Unilever that's, you know, um, ultimately perhaps responsible for this. And I know you've been active in calling New York State, calling out New York State for not doing enough. What's your take on this? So I oppose the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. It's targeting Israel. It's also targeting Jews. The founder of the BDS movement was openly anti-Semitic. A lot of people who promote the BDS movement in the name of the BDS movement target Jews with blatant anti-Semitism. Unfortunately, you have some people, whether it's individually, in certain cases, there are members of Congress, uh, with others, they're U.S. companies, where they are helping to advance this movement, not just targeting Israel, but also specifically targeting Jews, uh, and not playing along with these narratives, I think is an important turning point that hopefully is ahead for many of these companies on the fence. Don't just bow down. Um, It's it's actually important for you to uh, step up, to get informed, and even go the opposite direction. We should all be united together uh, in, in combating the, the, a movement that is blatantly anti-Semitic, in, in my opinion. Uh, it's affected students on college campuses uh, where they are targeted with blatant anti-Semitism in the name of BDS. I hear from college students who say that if they write an essay and they take the pro-BDS position, the ceiling on what they could get on a grade is higher than if they take the anti-BDS position. Uh, but we, and we've seen it with the City University of New York where they recently passed a resolution that uh, advances the BDS movement. Unilever and Ben & Jerry's, uh, they have decided to play along with this narrative advancing the BDS movement. An executive order was signed five years ago in New York State that says that companies, that entities that uh, support the BDS movement should be listed by the state and that the state should not be doing business with them. In this case, following that executive order, it's my opinion that Unilever and Ben & Jerry's should be listed because they support the BDS movement, and New York State should not be doing any business with these entities because of that support of the BDS movement and because of that executive order that was signed uh, five years back in 2016. Uh, Unfortunately, we're seeing a very slow response by the state of New York. Um, Tom DiNapoli, who's the uh, comptroller uh, for the, the state. Uh, he took uh, action earlier uh, with regards to New York State's pension funds. Uh, kudos to him for you know, getting out there publicly and saying the right thing, and, and it appears to be doing the right thing on it. Um, but uh, it's been slower from Governor Hochul and from the rest of the executive branch uh, because by now, Unilever and Ben and Jerry should be listed, and the state should be publicly 
uh, letting it be known that they are cutting off all business with these entities as long as they promote BDS. What should my listeners understand from your vantage point of the Build Back Better versus what many now call Build Back Broke um, effort to spend all sorts of money on all sorts of outlandish plans? The Democrats who are pushing this are saying things like uh, this being an effort to radically transform our country. They're saying things along the lines of this being a, uh, a floor, not a ceiling. They, they want to pass trillions of dollars and then wake up the next day and they're just going to want to pass trillions of dollars more. You know, our country just doesn't have it. They want to pay for their bill by increasing taxes even further. You think we have issues right now with inflation in this country, that we have issues with supply chain right now in this country. Those issues are only going to become uh, far worse. Uh, we're going to see inflation go up. We're going to see our debt go up, our deficits go up. Uh, more companies choosing to do business out of the United States as opposed to the push that we saw and the progress that we saw uh, during President Trump. Uh, well, it wasn't just on the the tax side, but also the regu the regulatory side and the trade side uh, to make a strong case for American businesses here to stay here and grow, for businesses that uh, had left to come back, and for other businesses that were never here uh, to think about bringing their, their business, their operations here in the United States. Uh, that's the type of progress that uh, we, we should be continuing uh, here in the United States. Unfortunately, Build Back broke legislation uh, is seeking to spend money that we don't have to increase debt, increase deficit, all sorts of policy changes like spying on people's bank accounts and uh, mass amnesty and child tax credits for people who are illegally in the country. Uh, there's a whole lot of policy changes on top of the spending changes that our country simply cannot afford. Um, Joe Manchin might be on the other side of the aisle, um, but he deserves a lot of credit for his fight up to now. He gets no credit for the fight. He has not yet fought ahead. Uh, I sure hope that he has the courage, the wherewithal uh, to withstand enormous pressures that are coming at him because in this 50-50 Senate that's, that's out there, he stands his ground. Uh, the Democrats are not going to be able to pass this legislation. Uh, if they do, um, it's going to be disastrous for our country and uh, certainly Democrats are going to pay the price at the ballot box next November. If you don't mind, I want to end with a personal question. So you were diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia. You're in complete remission now. You fought it. You're not slowing down. If anything, you're gearing up for, you know, even harder work. Um, I think that's inspiring to those who are ill, who are suffering setbacks and challenges. What's, what's your message to people about your experience with that? Uh, first off, early detection. Very important. Anybody out there, if there's anything that you're uh, experiencing that uh, maybe it's it's 1% of your, your mind is focused on how a particular ailment might require medical attention. You're feeling like maybe it's something that you should see a doctor on, or maybe you're not experiencing any symptoms, but you're of a particular age or something else uh, about your health. Uh, you want to go get tested uh, with a, a mammogram or a colonoscopy just because of uh, age as a precaution. 
that is hugely important for me. Uh, I was going for a routine blood test. And fortunately, in that blood test, uh, they were able to ca uh, catch something that the doctors feel like was, uh, wasn't detectable in my system for more than just a few weeks. I was fortunate that I went to a doctor and I got this routine blood test. I got a great second opinion. I started treatment. Uh, fortunately, my body responded well to the treatment. No side effects. Uh, I was in blood remission within three months. Uh, the doctors weren't even able to detect it in my system not too long after that. Uh, so uh, for, for me, I would say early detection is key. Uh, I would say the investments, both publicly and privately, that we make into research uh, is hugely important. Uh, this is uh, a use of our tax dollars that uh, we should be proud of, where we see investment in public-private partnership that can find cures and treatments to, disease, to uh, diseases both well-known and rare. Uh, that's key as well. Now, a lot of people out there uh, are suffering. They're going through really tough times. Uh, we cannot underestimate the, the power of prayer, of support of family and friends. Uh, we all need to um, you know, find a moment in our busy day in our lives to understand that you know, while we have challenges in our life, there are other people who have challenges that are far greater than we do. We are blessed to live our life in the greatest nation in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we are blessed with, with freedoms and opportunities uh, and so much to be hugely grateful for. Uh, and we take a lot for granted in life. And on a moment's notice, uh, you can be thrown a curveball, uh, an audible that you didn't see coming. Uh, and you know it's a lot for you to go through. But at the same time, for the rest of us, there's a lot that we can do every day uh, to try to do our part uh, and the Jewish faith, as you know, we could call it a mitzvah that day that we you know, step up and do a good deed uh, for someone in need. And uh, I just feel like there's a lot more we in this country can do to uh, find the bandwidth to help others who need a helping hand, uh, whether they're suffering uh, with a medical condition, uh, mental health, uh, homelessness. Uh, housing is, is certainly a, a big issue. The, the need for skills training and a job. Uh, yes, we do live in the greatest country in the history of the world, uh, but we also still have a lot more to do. Thanks for sharing that, Congressman. It, uh, I know it was uh, a difficult time, and thank God you're fine and in complete remission, and I pray for your continued good health. And uh, thank you for sharing your advice and uh, wisdom on today's tough issues. Thanks for the time on the podcast. That was great to be with you, Jason. Take care. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today's interview, as you heard, was with Congressman Lee Zeldin. We covered a lot of ground. His run for governor and whether or not he could flip New York, the 2021 elections and his takeaway, consulate in Jerusalem, Israel, the reopening, I should say, of the consulate in Jerusalem, Israel, and why that is wrong. Ben and Jerry's, his diagnosis of chronic myeloid leukemia, and thankfully his recovery from that and some inspiring words at the end of the interview from him about that. If you found this podcast interesting or informative, please do share it and my other podcasts with your friends and family. We had some great shows until now. I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the ones you haven't yet heard. We have some great guests coming up as well. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, and wherever your podcasts can be heard. 
I encourage you also to follow me on Twitter where you can learn more about things that I'm covering. My Twitter handle is at GreenblattJD. That's at G-R-E-E-N-B-L-A-T-T. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.